0: Mike Tyson, as famous for his life outside the ring, as he is for his boxing success. Listen, I entered
1: this, enter this profession, a total brainless individual.
0: Tyson's youth was filled with crime. How did that change you?
1: Can't go to school no more, you can't get education, uh, you go to crime.
0: Until a well-known boxing trainer took him under his wings and changed everything. How much credit do you give to Custom Auto? He gave me tools. That's why it's cost gave me tools. At age 20, Tyson became the heavyweight champ.
1: I had no idea what I was getting myself into. There's no way I could have prepared myself to handle that.
0: And soon drugs, abuse, and excessive debt would take over his life. At one point, we're like 50 million in debt. Yeah, that was amazing too. Now he's working to let go of his past and focus on a different path.
1: They're still interviewing, um, I ain't Mike, and that's not who I am.
0: All that's coming up next, right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. I uh, know you've told this story a few times before, but explain how a pigeon was involved in you getting into your first fight.
1: I had, um, had all these birds when they, you know, um, they just suddenly popped up in this living room of mine. So, some guy, I told some friends of mine from another neighborhood, and they had brought some other guys from the neighborhood to steal the birds. And... This one guy stole one of the birds. After I got my mother, this is like, like a little woman. I got my mother to get my birds. Mom, help me. Right. And um, one guy put a bird on and ran out. So I ran after him. Please give me my bird. Please, please, I have my bird. Oh, you want your bird? smack me. You want this? And he ripped the bird's head off, hit me with the bird, threw blood on me, Smack me around. So my friend said, Mike, fight him. Don't be afraid. Fight him. And if he beats you up, I'll help. You know what I mean? He never planned on jumping in if I got my butt kicked. I know that. But um, I just fought, and it's not like I was sensational. I was just flaring away, and I guess I hit him more than he hit me, so I I, I won, I guess. I
0: so I was talking to your wife, Kiki, about your passion for pigeons, and she was telling me about how you'll sit down on your chair in the garage with the headphones on. And how relaxing do you find it? It's just,
1: I don't know, it's a part of my life. It's just like a guy that, um, owns horses and watches his horses, I have cows, or dogs, you know, it's just um, a part of your life. If you don't have them, like, it's a bad um, a bad season, the disease come by, wipe you all out, you wait a while, then you get more. You know, I have too many as it is now, so I'm waiting for them to have the eggs, to have some babies, and then I'm gonna get rid of them, and just raise the babies, because I have too many now.
0: How many do you have?
1: Um, I may have a hundred in there, and that's just too much for my garage, you know. And that's, um, that's the habit of sometimes, um, Having a hobby is a possibility, especially if it's livestock. You may um, have the tendency to have collect too many of them.
0: It's a hundred what you have altogether. Or do you have more? No, well, I, I
1: have a few thousand in New York City. Okay, that's what I thought. <laughs> your,
0: your wife says you can tell what their emotions actually are. It's just um,
1: how so? I don't know. It's just from um, trial and error. It's being around them since I was nine. You know, um, it's just easy, you know. It's over and over repetition. They're like us, they do the same thing over and over.
0: What do you like about them?
1: It's just my first love ever, birds, flying pigeons. I mean, it's an animal freak. You know, I know some sounds weird, my animal freak. Even though Peter's always kicking my butt, but I mean, I love animals. Maybe I don't always know the best, um, Routine on how to fix them when they're sick or anything, but I just this is just what I love. I love animals.
0: What sort of caretakings involve for them?
1: It's a lot harder than you may anticipate. You know, they all need um, they have to have a serum for the medicine. Like if you look in my refrigerator, you may see a whole conglomerate and dynamic of just animal medicine. Really? Yeah, yeah it's very important. They're very um, temperamental. Their immune system and they um, they fall to pieces at any moment.
0: How much do you enjoy breeding them? I like breeding them
1: more than I like flying them. It's just a part of my life. I know it sounds so ridiculous for somebody to hear some grown man flying some- No, it's interesting. Birds, but... some, uh, what the people think of them as rats with wings, but this is just, it's something that's cultural more than more than a hobby, it's just people's culture. This is just what we do.
0: What's a race like?
1: A race is um like somebody packing up a crate of a truck with probably a thousand birds. Depends on the race, 300 birds, 3,000 birds. And we let them go, and we see who gets there first. It's really amazing when they open up the hatch, and like all these pigeons, just thousands of them just fly.
0: And people might not understand this, but this is, you can take them 600 miles away, well, right? And they'll still come back to your coop?
1: they are they're they're birds that have flown longer than 600, but the record is just for 600 legally, where the birds is normally usually able to fly in one day. Anything more than that, I guess they're going to consider it animal cruelty.
0: How about the one you became most attached to? or is there that attachment there?
1: Yeah, there's one bird in there that I'm attached to, and this is really crazy. It's a solid white bird. And I really don't like solid white birds that much because they draw too much attention for birds of prey and stuff. Um, but I had this bird since 2001, and he's just a really, a really like it's a super stud guy. You know, he's been around, I had him and his brother, and um they have produced a lot of cool birds
0: your mother moved you your brother your sister i believe from the bedford section of brooklyn to to uh, the brownsville yeah, section yeah, of brooklyn it was
1: a pretty intense neighborhood back then how did that change you um i don't know school was over from the start
0: school was over
1: yeah because i stopped going because everybody was you know kicking the out of me in school so i had to stop going to school okay so um that that stopped, and um started crying. That's just what it is, you know. You can't go to school no more. You can't get education. Um, You go to crime. You hang around some guys that you figure may protect you, stop guys from bothering you, but they teach you crime. They teach you why the other guys don't bother them and why they're tough and all that stuff. So, it's not that ever, listen, I'm never going to ever say, now that I I, um, evaluate my life, and I always thought I was some tough guy. I thought I was was never tough. I think I was a, a, a big wimp but I just had guys back me up and they gave me courage. But um, being a boxer was the last thing on my mind. As soon as being the heavyweight champion fighter, that must have been the last thing on Once I learned how to do the fighting stuff, when I first learned from Bobby Stewart, I wanted to use that to be my mugging skill. Now I could do mugs. Really? Hit guys in the stomach, they hit me in the stomach and I was throwing up for days. So I figured if I slug a guy in the chat and he starts just throwing up, I can go in his pocket. Yeah, some ridiculous thing like that.
0: You were talking about how you got involved in the wrong crowd after moving to Brownsville. What well, yeah, sorts of crimes would yes, you commit? Yes,
1: anything. Just name it, anything to make a buck. And um, what's the worst? Robberies, um, um, armed robberies. Um, it's just just bad stuff. Brutal robberies. It's just really. Did you ever bad see stuff. somebody get killed? I've seen a lot of bad things that I don't want to talk about. But just look at me. Really, look at me and look at my life. And you tell me what you thought I'd see
0: a lot sure. all
1: right but you know it's really it's just not a nice place but yes it is what it is i'm who i am
0: is what it is you know what do you recall from your mother
1: um alcoholic not cool life skills not no life skills at all now that i'm you know um as plain to see it's no life skills um ex- excessive in everything party drinking yeah, that's how that's I remember.
0: What about uh, your father? That mean, what do you remember from him?
1: Fancy cars, good dresser, deacon preacher, big in church, but still um, dealt with a lot of women. It's um same thing. Father's not home. Got a lot of women. Got a lot of half-sisters and brothers. You know. same story.
0: So you're 13 years old, you're at the Tryon School for Boys, a juvenile delinquent center in upstate New York, and you're in trouble there, so you're headed to an area to be punished, and it was almost at that point that something happened. What led to you deciding to pursue boxing?
1: Well, um, when I was in the detention home, you know, it's almost like, the, it's considered like the hole for the juvenile detention, it's like the hole, so I'm in the back room in the hole, but I see um, through my window, I see people um, from the other side getting carried in on the other side. And they got like ribs are hurting and they got eyes the joy, they got ice packs, but they're happy. So I said, what's going on over there? I'm thinking like, oh, we having a war. We having a gang fight over there. Yeah, this war. But these guys are happy. No. They said, we're boxing with Mr. Stewart. What? And so I watched these guys and I said, what? Did you see these guys getting beat up? Kurt red bruised jaw, eye, And, um, but they're happy that they they went through this. So I said, well, I can go over there and beat this guy. He was no big guy. I was heavy set guy. He was like 165, 70 pound white guy, slim. I could go slug him.
0: He he nailed you pretty good. Yeah, he hit me in the
1: stomach. I never felt that feeling before. You know, now that I'm, uh, wow, that's so crazy. Now that I'm experienced, I've never felt that feeling again. Now, sometimes when I used to box, boom, he hit me in the stomach. You feel that same feeling, but it goes away within seconds. But being a young kid, not, you don't know it's gonna go away within seconds. so within those three seconds, four seconds, you're trying to breathe, and you can't breathe, and um, the closest thing to death I know is not breathing, and I freaked out. You know, and then a few seconds passed, and it went away, and I said, well, can you teach me how to do that? You know, and this is the mugging theory. I wanted to learn how to be a tough street fighter for I can do, but um, they had, he had a different idea for me. You know he had a different idea and um he took me to cuss and cuss met me at 13 years old and as soon as he met me and sold me boxing he started this crazy guy he started um he started planning my whole career and my whole life out all right we're going to win the nationals we're win the local tournament here we're going to win this tournament here we're going to win this one you're going to win the olympic trials then we're going to get you a heavyweight champion We are going to get a million dollars in your first fight as a pro then we're going to get you into the heavyweight championship, we will build you, we will fight you constantly, and we will make you the youngest heavyweight champ in the world. And um, for some weird reason, um, I was only 13. I didn't want to appear that I was afraid. And he said, are you ready for the job at hand? And I said, yes, I am. But I had no idea what he had in store. I had no idea. Just um, didn't know. I was so ignorant. and Yes, I was to ignore your little kid that thought I knew it all. I didn't want him to think I, I wanted to, I wanted him to think I was tough. I was only 13. Well, this guy is 77, but I wanted him to think I was tough.
0: How about the first time he watched you spar customado? Well, he thought that was, he thought it was
1: impressive. I was a little emotional. I wanted to fight tough because I felt embarrassed because my nose was bleeding. And he thought that was cool. He thought I had hard. I was tough, I guess. As time went on, I've heard that. But I thought I let him down because I got my nose blood, bloody. But when I came to CUS, I wasn't that elusive enough. So I used to get hit a lot. So once I got under CUS training, I didn't get hit as much. I didn't have bloody nose no more. And things just went, um, it's wow. It just went so fast. This guy, I wish you would have saw me. I wish you would have saw my children and stuff. It's a um, really interesting guy. Didn't care about money or nothing. Just like me, it's a, a glory junkie.
0: How would you best describe the type of man he was?
1: Um, it's cold-blooded disciplinarian. It's total beliefs in discipline.
0: How did your relationship evolved with him over the years?
1: Some say it could be like a son-father relationship, and, you know I mean? and that not because it was intimate, it was just passionate. He got me a little 12-year-old kid and he started training, he adopted me legally when my mother died, you know. But it was really, it was just no emotions attached. He never wanted to be emotionally attached to anything. You know what I mean? He really tried to always, I don't know what happened in his life, but something have happened in his life where his emotions let him down, but he never allowed his emotions to get involved with anything. If someone died that he cared about, he's always... Till the day he dies, he's always working on improving his still emotions. He's working on improving this. He, he's always in life working on how he's going to improve his discipline and improve this. Things that are really so far-fetched now that I look at it. You know, he's always improving himself, always looking for a battle to fight or something to do. You know, he has to keep himself active. And um, that's just what he was.
0: Even though he was that way, how emotional did your relationship with him become?
1: It's as emotional as it can get, you know. I guess um that's the only part my, I do understand. in my life is really, who's this guy? How you get involved in my life, and how did I get here, talking to you? That's um that's just been the biggest question of my whole life that I deal with myself. Who am I? That all of a sudden I started from here. I'm some guy robbing houses and mugging people, and the next thing you know, hey, we trample the world. You know, it came out just like that, just as I'm explaining it to you, it's just meteoric speed, click, click, juvenile detention guy, robber, we champ of the world. That quick. And it's just, of course, I I had no idea what I was getting myself into, there's no way I could have prepared myself to handle that.
0: And he brought you around too, how much confidence did he instill in you? Oh
1: man, it's crazy, I thought I could fly, if he said it. That's just the way that, you know, young kids uh, never had nobody. Um, wow. Well, a lot of kids, like I look at my son, and a lot, and there's people that tell him that he's good. There's people that tell him that you're sensational and you're like your father, you're like this, but he still didn't do anything to prove it. So he really doesn't believe it. See, everything um cuts told me, I believed it because I achieved it.
0: How important would that, was that confidence to your life?
1: Well, you know, confidence breeds success, and success breeds confidence. And um, I'm a strong believer that when it's applied properly, that it will surpass a genius. There's nothing like confidence once
0: it's applied properly. What would you and Customado both talk about?
1: Confidence and how to beat the greatest fighters in the world. We talk about the greatest fighters, then we talk about how, they, how you can beat them. It's really crazy stuff. I look at myself now and feel like such a dope. It's a dinosaur talking about this stuff, how I used to think of the kid, you know what I mean? How would you beat this guy? I'm talking, how would we beat this guy? How would you beat Joe Lewis? How would you beat Dempsey or Ali? And I, we actually just talk about all these questions and stuff.
0: He then uh, passes away months before you would go on to be the youngest heavyweight champion in history. The impact his death had on you would be what?
1: Everything he told me was real, but um, he never told me that um, once he died, if he disappeared, that, um, everybody that, that he said was his friends would turn against him. You know, I never knew that, you know? Because once he, once he passed away, all his friends turned against him, and they wanted to attack me, for what it was money or get more fame, but they never did when he was alive. All the people that he considered was his friends and all this stuff, once they died, um, Maybe because he forced these guys to like me, he pushed me on these guys. I don't know. <laughs> he told all these guys great things about me. These guys said no, but it happened. You know, they thought Cuss was weird too. Even the people that was his friends, they thought it was a bit weird. I know now that um, I came on the scene. they was said, wow. that Cuss, is, wow. Let this guy go on us. That's just um, I was bitter and I wanted um, I don't know. I just to, I was angry. You know, I was just a little kid when I was champ and doing all this stuff. I was still bitter. I wanted to make people pay for him. And the only one that paid was me, but that's just the thought I had in my mind, you know?
0: You you said about him after he passed away, and I I believe you were around 19 at the time, um, and, and I quote, when I'd get up in the morning, he'd make me breakfast. Now he's not around anymore. God, I'm going to do well, but when I come down to it, who really cares? I like doing my job but I'm not happy being victorious. I fight my heart out and give it my best, but when it's over, there's no cuss to tell me how I did, no mother to show clippings to.
1: Yeah, I might have said something like that. Wow.
0: This is 19 at the time yeah. you said that.
1: I became jaded, a lot jaded since then, you know? I don't really think about those things that much.
0: How much film would you watch with cuss?
1: Just um, well, I would watch more, with him, more without him. But more without he him. didn't like watching them that okay. much. But I used to say, "Now, Cus, tell me about this guy. Did you know this guy?" Most of the guys that I watch, Cuss knew personally.
0: What sort of fighters would you enjoy watching film of?
1: Just um, the most exciting ones. Some of them are greater than the, some. There's some fighters that are better than the exciting fighters, but um, they don't they don't make you they don't they don't make you as happy as the exciting fighters. They may be better fighters. I mean, you could beat that guy, but that guy's more charismatic fighter than he is.
0: Right. Who, who were the exciting ones? You really identified with Sonny Liston, right? Oh,
1: absolutely. You know, um, I liked Sonny Liston and Jackson because I liked that whole, they brought the intimidation factor into boxing. You know, they, they made it where a guy who's better than you, you can beat him because you allow him to, you allow him to shut down all his instincts because he's intimidated. So that made the whole dynamics of boxing exciting to me. That a guy under normal circumstances would beat you, but just because he's intimidated, he's gonna lose. Because he can't perform in a num- under his normal circumstances by being intimidated that he could if he wasn't intimidated.
0: And even when you were around 19, too, I, I think you said that if you had continued screwing around to the extent, that you were over the previous six years, you would be in jail or possibly even dead. How much credit do you give to Custamato from preventing that from happening?
1: Well, listen, I don't know if he got, could get any credit for that because um, after he left Washington, no, no, what Cus gave me. This is he gave me tools. That's why Cus gave me tools. Gave me tools. Gave me tools. Gave me tools. He just gave me tools. You know. Sometimes um, the world has changed. Maybe they don't work as good as they did back then, but um, he gave me tools, you know.
0: What type of tools?
1: Um, just um, never to give up, you know. Um, that's not, that's something that um, I realize. You just don't realize it, that everybody then um, equipped with that, that um, it's very easy to give up. And matter of fact, it's, um, it's relieving to give up,
0: you know. How mental is boxing?
1: I don't know, 95%, 5%, 10% physical, 95% mental. How so? Because unlike we were explaining everything, our, um only purpose of our body is just to carry our brain. You know, That's really the only purpose. So the brain has to um, register the success factor in everything we do.
0: What emotions would go through you as you're walking from the dressing room to the ring for a fight?
1: I used to think um, it was... Being ferocious to tell people, I can't wait to get my hands on them, but it's really nothing but fear. Being embarrassed, being beaten, being knocked out.
0: So as you're walking to the ring, you're thinking you're afraid, embarrassed. Yeah. Why do you think that was?
1: Um, I don't know. That's just what it is. That's just how I deal with my pain and my pressure and everything.
0: You know. But at the same time, I mean, you wanted to. Kill your opponents. Essentially, you said you—that's what you would get yourself to think about yeah, you know, going into a fight, right? I
1: really don't know, but really, in all fights, I have to tell you that we're we're prepared to do this. But this is like um, sleepwalking. Fighting is like sleepwalking. Guy he just knows how to do it. You know, it just depends on what spirit he brings with him. But he knows how to do it, even if he doesn't train. He knows how to do it. And um, I don't know. One thing I could ever say I know out of I was sounding tough. I always wanted to say I wanted to kill. We can't wait to get my hand, But I'm always scared to death. Always really scared. And that's what I can remember. That's all I can remember about fighting, about being afraid. I mean, that's a big part of fighting. is being afraid.
0: Did being afraid help you in the fight? I would fight? say
1: so. Yeah, no doubt about that. But um, that's what fighting is. Um, a great deal of fighting has fear in it. Fear is a great, great asset and a great. Um, I don't know. Exponent, so to speak. Yeah, in the fight game. And in life in general, I think fear is a great exponent.
0: And you tried to use fear to your advantage in another way, too. How would you try to intimidate your opponents? I
1: don't know. It just happens. You know, you can't try to intimidate. Either he is or he's not.
0: How would you know if the opponent is?
1: Just, yes, no, you feel, you know. Um, athletes, um, athletes are like, um, I don't know, they're like um, negotiators. Um, they just know it when they see it. From the experience and of doing it over and over for years and years, you just see it. You see it, you see it when you come in the room, you just know it, you smell it, you feel it. Then even the guys, when they can hide it, even guys that are professional and disciplined enough to hide it, you can see it right through them.
0: How much emphasis would you put on speed?
1: Speed kills. Speed kills, but um, it's determination and willpower that, um, that speed will have to succumb to.
0: What does it feel like throwing a great punch?
1: I don't know. I don't know what a great punch is. I don't know what it feels like.
0: How do you know if you've landed one?
1: I see the results of it, and people say that it was great, and I just go along with the flow, but necessarily I don't know if it's actually
0: a great punch or not. What about a knockout punch?
1: I think certain people get knocked out before they even enter the ring.
0: Really? I don't know, yeah, that's just the way it is sometimes. How about when you're on the reverse side of that and hit with a knockout punch?
1: Um, You have to regroup some kind of way and come back. You know, Um, the main objective is not to get discouraged over life. I remember I used to look at all the great fighters that I looked up to, admired and stuff. Old timers there. And I look at the first three or four fights, two, you know, first year of fighting, they got knocked out cold, one round, three round, they got knocked out. The next thing you know, they didn't give up, they didn't get discouraged. Next thing you know, they're going in the Hall of Fame, the legendary champion. Never heard about the guys that knocked him out. Who was his name? Who is he? What did he do after the fight when he knocked him out? Did he get his girlfriend pregnant, have to quit boxing? What happened? <laughs> you know, no, he gave up. He did, I think I didn't give up.
0: When that punch is coming, the knockout punch, and it's being thrown at you, do you see it coming?
1: Listen, um, I don't know. You're knocked out, you're knocked out, I guess. But you
0: said it doesn't hurt, really. Well, when you don't it feel
1: it, but, you know, of course. And, um, and, and why is that? I don't know, because you're out cold. <laughs> you don't feel you're don't unconscious, I guess. But um, I'm sure you're going to have a big headache when you wake up. But you just don't feel it. And sometimes when you're boxing a guy, you get clock boom, and you're hurt, and you, you're not—you're not hurt, but your legs are all over your head. But you're like, oh man, what happened? You're like, you very conscious what's going on, and you know you can't protect yourself. Your legs are all over the place, but you're like, oh man, you got me.
0: You've said before—I mean, even growing up—you wanted a lot of girls. That was the goal. But you abstained from sex for something like. Five years, was that true? Yeah,
1: because I'm an idiot, you know? Um, I mean, so stupid. Um, it's, I, used to, I used to win by what people told me, you know? I mean, this is what you do, Your boxing's gonna mess you up, girls boxing. Listen, I entered this, enter this profession a total brainless individual, you know, looking for glory, because my, my self-esteem is so low, I'm looking for some glory. Can you believe I'm 12 years old, and I'm looking for some glory, because my life is just such a waste. It's ridiculous.
0: I did an episode with Joe Namath for Aww. the series and spent time with him this past like? fall. he's a fascinating guy and has great stories. Aww, but something man. that I thought was kind of funny that we Listen, were talk-
1: only won one championship, Joe. One championship. More famous all these three times, one or four times, but that's the chemistry. That's the diff that's what I'm talking about. These guys are great fighters, but you know, they get in a room with a guy that they could beat. They beat 20 times this guy that suck all the air out of the room. is his personality. Right. You know what I mean? Can't get the... Can't he beat this guy? He just can't get the acclaim this guy got. You know, it's just... I was crazy. And, and something that he said... Just personality. Was, Human nature. People got it. Some
0: people got it. Oh, man. Right. And what was kind of funny was we were actually talking about picking up ladies. And he's like, you know, back then when he was kind of in his prime, he would go to a club, go to a bar, and just sit down. And that was... That was the extent of the effort that he had to put in. How similarly easy was it for you?
1: I guess I don't know. Um you see somebody you like on television, you you find out how you get in touch with their agents, their managers, where do they work or how do I go where they work with it, you know, and that's how you get in touch with them. you see somebody you like. It wasn't about meeting people back then. In the eighties, you see somebody you like on television, hey, who's that? Well this is a they with this agency. Hey, call matter of fact I know their sister or their brother. You know, everyone knows everybody and some direct, indirect way, and that's how you meet people. And then of course you go outside and then people think you're special, you know, because you're on television and that's the idiot box. And when people see people in the idiot box, people lose their mind and turn into idiots over the people in the idiot box. So people see me and they think, um, they don't look at me and think I'm all used up or everything. and if they're smart, they run the other direction because I'm gonna mess your credit up. I am mean, screwing everything up on you, you know. Might mess around and give you a venereal disease, all kind of stuff, but you're just gonna keep on coming. All right, so come on then, I'm a, I'm a, um, a sucker for pleasure too. But you know, if they were smart, they would just haul ass the other way, but they're not smart because they're, they're um, addicted to the idiot box, which I'm on all the time, you know, so. I guess that's the way it is. I don't know what's going on here. This is just the way it appeared to be.
0: <laughs> the media over the years has widely reported about your treatment of women. And I think, as with you know any highly publicized story, the truth probably lies somewhere in between. How fair do you think the coverage has been of that? Well,
1: it's been unfair, definitely, but I had a lot to do with it being unfair. You know, the way I've talked to people and exaggerated stuff and all that stuff. So, um, whatever it is, whatever it was, um, the common denominator was that I was there. that I caused some of it too. So it didn't just come osmosis out the air, like, wow, Mike Tyson's a woman abuser, and we have no evidence. No, I'm a human being, I've abused women. Women abused me. It was like a, a twin blade. We both abused each other, you know? And that's just basically what it was, basically. I'm not an angel. God, I wish I was. But even if I was an angel, nobody would like me because there's something wrong with my face that irritates everybody sometimes. You know, that's what I really think. Um, It is what it is.
0: How uh, verbally and physically abusive were you at times back then?
1: I had fights with women. I was a young kid. I know nothing about any kind of relationship with women. And um, I don't know. What do you want me to think? Am I amongst them? a brutalizer of, I hate women? No way. Am I a young kid that never had experience with women, learned late in life, and then realized that I'm, I'm in over my head? Yeah. Yeah, that's basically what it was.
0: Right. I mean, to what extent at the time did it seem okay?
1: I don't know. What are you talking
0: about? I mean, you just didn't know any no, better um, because listen, you had never uh, learned?
1: This is, there's no doubt about it. I know right from wrong. But... Um, I just never um, practiced it, right? I had no reason to practice. Everybody told me everything I did was right. You know, I had had just a wrong upbringing in the world I was in, you know? Just think I come from this inner city, I meet these people, they just tell me, you keep doing what I tell you and no will be a foreign language and all this stuff. And then boom, you know, um, I fall into this really weird spiral and stuff. But um, I'm pretty cool now, you know, I'm pretty cool.
0: One very serious situation happened with trainer Teddy Atlas that wound up with him holding a loaded gun to your head and pulling back the trigger. Uh, well, why did it? That's not true. W-
1: um, how do you know if that's true or not? No, that
0: that's. No, you what made he had a said. statement like you know it was true. Oh, no, I, okay. Yeah, that That's what he had said.
1: No, um, no, what was wrong with Teddy? That's not true. Teddy did do that, but it wasn't necessarily because I flirted with his niece or touched a butt or something. Teddy wanted me to go back with him. He was leaving Cuss, he left, and I wasn't leaving Cuss, he wanted me to come back with him. You know, and that's really basically what happened. I, didn't, I wasn't leaving to go with him, leave Cuss and go to New York and train, whatever the situation was. Um, but you know, that's what Teddy always wants to tell people. He wants people to think he's a tough guy, he's a mafia guy, and all that stuff, but that's okay, you know, but I have things to do. I have to raise my family, I have to have things to do. I am not in the mood to prove that I'm a tough guy.
0: Right.
1: You know, that's what I try to do all my life, prove I'm some tough guy. But I'm not a tough guy. You know, um do you think he's a tough guy? Do you really think um see I know he talks tough, and everything, but you think that he would either, at ever come in my face and say that he's a tough guy, man to man to me? It sounds like he would, because he got to say, everybody fool that he's a tough guy. But no he won't. But listen, when he pulled a gun to my head, too, yeah, listen, this is a good one. I'm 15 right. years old, and okay. this guy, however old he is, 26, he pulled a gun, he didn't even shoot me.
0: Right. So that
1: tells you how tough he is. He pulled a gun on me and didn't even shoot me. If I pulled one on him, God knows, them bullets are not going in the air. You know, so, he's a tough guy, I'll give him the credit, he wants to be tough, everybody thinks he's a tough, and he's, a, he's supposed to be killing me with him and his mafia uncle, I don't know, since I was 16. You know they're supposed to be getting me and doing something i guess but I, i'm still here you know still here
0: and he from just what he said and I, i'm not speaking this is truth but just no, but from you what, want to believe him though i think I, I was interested to hear your thoughts on it i mean that's why i, so. I brought it up what he says he or alleges is that like cuss would let you get away with things and if he would have. Um, been stricter with things that would have prevented much of that. What do you think of that? Listen,
1: okay. Everybody listens. Teddy was the man when I when I came to. He was the training everybody, and um, this is just what it is. Um, Cuss liked me more than he liked him. Okay, he don't like that. That's just what it is. You know, um, that's like a new guy coming on the job. He's a new exciting guy. He's cool, and your boss likes him, so he he doesn't like you as much as he likes him. So now he's the most exciting guy in the gym when you used to being the most exciting guy in the gym. Right. All right, so how would you feel about that? Right. Okay. Graham, check this out, right? Um, I am, I'm not a glamorous person anymore. You know, I hate talking about my past. I don't like my past. As you can look here, I'm not, I don't look like somebody that had some glamorous or or I'm living like a but um, I don't know, I'm just very grateful. But this is just, you know, man, my whole life has changed. You know, this is not my normal circumstances. This is something I've become accustomed to. Um, that big life that we're talking about and we reminisce about, that's never gonna appear again. I'm never gonna be no billionaire, multi-multi-millionaire type guy again. I'm to always have to live this kind of life. I'm always gonna be taking care of my children. I'm gonna be paying my monthly notes, my yearly bills. and. Uh, there's nothing glamorous that's going to happen anymore, you know. Your guys coming to here for ratings, I, I wish there's something I could tell you that probably make you happy to go home with, but all that stuff that you're talking about now is just all stuff from the past, you know.
0: From speaking yesterday, I think there is an inherent, a justified uh, guard up or distrust when it comes to media and reporters. How did that come about?
1: that? Well, you know... Um, it's have to that's just the way it is. If you were um present during my life as a young kid, you know, I've been assailed by um press, I sailed press, and know. Um, I used to have the energy to fight with people no more. And that you know, just in that um rat race of a world. He said this to me and I gotta protect my honor and punch him in the mouth or say something back. It's just so denigrating to anybody who ever was in that um arena of words swapping is just, I don't know. I'm tired of that. I've done that already. I want to do something else. I know where that's going to lead. I know where it's going to go, fighting with person that he said this, I said that. So I forget that stuff, man.
0: Right, and it was interesting because yesterday it wasn't as if you know you got angry. It was just, you know, enough. I kind of shut down, move on. You know, let's do something different, right?
1: Well, I've gotten angry before. I know what's going to happen. I know where it's going to lead. Let's try something different. It's over, it's over. I'm in control of the situation. It's over.
0: How do you feel about interviews? I don't know. Um,
1: I don't feel I'm the guy who they're interviewing about anymore. They're still interviewing, um, I ain't Mike, and that's not who I am anymore. My whole whole barometer of thinking is just not who that guy is anymore.
0: Given what you went through, what advice would you give to an addict who wants to get help but is really unsure how to?
1: Well, if an actor really wants to get help, he knows how to get help, you know. He needs to go to his, um, make calls, find out the the local um, counseling, rehab, um, um, rehabilitation center, and then you have to apply. You know, you have to make that step. If you want to, you have to go to meetings, you have to find a sponsor. It's a real, um, it's a real interesting journey.
0: If it's okay with you, I'd like to read a couple quotes, uh, a couple things you hey, said from ahead, man. Uh, it. back in the day, and just interested to get your frame of mind at that point. Uh, both are from 2005. The first was, quote, my whole life has been a waste, I've been a failure. What was the state of mind then?
1: I don't know. I wanted to be um, a better fighter, I believe. And I just don't believe, I don't know. I just don't believe um I was as good as I could have been.
0: Another one, you said, I'll never be happy. I'll, I believe I'll die alone. I would want it that way.
1: Well, that's just how an addict talks. You know, addicts are high, and addicts have an addiction. They they talk like that. Everything's extreme. If I don't get my way, is the world's the end. Really? Yeah, pretty much,
0: yeah. You <laughs> <laughs> were uh, a half hour from the strip. A couple of years ago, how much did your life sort of revolve around yeah, this Yeah, pretty
1: period? much um, a great deal of my life evolved. I was just um, pretty much out there. It's believed to be having fun, and it's very um, accessible, so I just had a, had a little vacation down
0: there. It's interesting you say believed to be having fun. It, it might have seemed fun, but it wasn't really?
1: No, I'm, you know, I'm just like anybody else. I'm a pleasure junkie. I wanted to have fun. I, this is what I believe is fun. I'm in Vegas, and I can basically do what I want in Vegas. And um, that's just what I've done. That's just what you do when you yes. um I don't know. I guess you're lost trying to find yourself at that moment.
0: So you end up going to rehab, and you learn life skills, I understand. What sort of skills well, did you I
1: learn guess, at um, I just met a great. Um, I don't know. What can I call it? A conglomerate of just yes, interesting, dynamic people that just um, had my interest at heart as a human being. You know, and it's just. Um that rehab world is just like some like, um, how would I say, a utopic world. Everyone's What what is it like? It's like everyone's happy, everybody's positive, and we're gonna win, and don't worry about it, and everybody has hard stories, but they're overcoming, and uh, that's awesome, man. Um, Some people think it's even like a cult, but that's just an awesome spirit, and just to be in the midst of when it's really um, properly performed, you know?
0: And you said you stayed at the facility for a little more than a year because it felt safe? Yeah, it was
1: very safe. Um, it's just, um, it was just an amazing experience for me. It was just good stuff for
0: me. W- was there any concern about leaving the facility after you'd been there for that well, long, given absolutely, the absolutely. Like, environment? And
1: there's no doubt about it, absolutely. But um, like... Um,
0: what were some of the, the emotions and... A relapse protests? and uh, just um,
1: not being in the right environment and just, just failing in general.
0: You believed if you had continued going down that path of drug use that you might have even had less than two years to live. I know you have a friend who is terminally ill. What's watching what he's gone through taught you?
1: Um, That um, life is really short and it's unpredictable and we have to enjoy every second of it and know there's gonna be ups and downs and no one has any exclusivity to pain. We're gonna all experience it. No one's getting out of here free. Um, We're gonna endure life, harsh um, punishments, and there's um, rewards. That's just the way the world is. And we have to just be in it to win it.
0: How much better do you feel about yourself today than you did a few years back? Well,
1: um, that's interesting, Grandma, because I understand myself more. I was just a young boy that just didn't understand myself and never gave myself um, any time to grow or anything. Um, I just thought I was tough, and I just wanted to believe that. And really, um, we're in a different world. This world we live in, this is not a tough man's world. This is a thinking man's world. You know what I mean? Tough men get hurt in this kind of world. You know, see, we have to try to be appropriate in our thinking and our manner. You know, I just try to, um, to the best of my ability, of course, you know, just do the right thing.
0: What did it take to get to that place where you started to understand yourself?
1: I have no idea, I just... um,
0: I mean, is that just life experience and years and getting older, or is there more to it than that?
1: Well, that's what I'd like to believe, but um, it's just, when the time is right, I guess it's right, I guess it's better um, late than never.
0: Um, Your your drug dealer, I think, stopped selling to you at one point because of uh, his concern, but you speak in the show about concern with relapse, explain why even the smell of a Marlboro Red because could trigger my, it.
1: Those, those are my cigarettes. That's how I smoke my cocaine. You know, most of the time, if I do so much cocaine, um, my nose clog up. I can't breathe anymore. So I still want to get high, so I smoke it. But when, uh, this I have to breathe. <laughs> I breathe out my I can't breathe out my nose anymore. And I and I gotta smoke. I'm smoking a cigarette. And what little air I do breathe, I'm, ta- I'm inhaling cocaine. You know what little air I can get. From the oxygen, I'm smoking cocaine, so um, I'm just definitely killing myself. You know, I'm definitely killing myself.
0: At that point, did you know you were really harming yourself? Oh, big time. Oh, you did?
1: Oh, big time, but I, you just can't stop. It feels good killing yourself.
0: Do you want to
1: get help at that, at that point? Well, of course I wanted to get help, but I didn't want to stop doing it. I was, I was thinking maybe I can get help and stop doing it, or can I get help and still do it? You know, so um, I didn't understand what was I going to do, basically, is what I'm telling you. So um, I eventually stopped some kind of way.
0: Money. Yeah, what about it? What does money mean to you?
1: Paper blood. Paper <laughs> Yeah, I don't, um, just, um, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. It's just, I don't know. I never look at it that way. Um, I've never been really a money type of guy that put a great emphasis on it. You know, I never really... Um, I come very um, from a broke background, so I never really had great emphasis. I never really learned the art of handling money as a kid. You know, that's an art. That's why only a few people maintain it because it's an art. And I never possessed it at that time.
0: You, you said you haven't been a money type of guy, and it's interesting you say that because I mean, I was reading it was might have been a Sports Illustrated article or some magazine article from the nineties, and it, it focused on just your spending and you know the excess of the Mike Tyson then that the you know media sort of portrayed you to be. And um, it said, and I just want to read through some of these figures. Uh, the, for, during the 33 months after you got out of prison, uh, four and a half million on automobiles and motorcycles, give automobiles to 15 women, and two men, once crashed your Rolls Royce and told cops to keep it, uh, spend 240,000 monthly and just walking around money nearly 100000 a month on jewelry and clothing, more than 400000 on pigeons and cats, 300000 on lawn care, a house with 38 bathrooms. To what extent did it almost seem, or did you think that just the money would never run out? I don't
1: know, that's just how I live my life, you know, when I was living my life back then. That's just my, wow, that's even hard. When you would mention the things, wow, that's even hard, I don't even fathom that. I don't even think I'm that kind of guy. I don't even look ever considering having money like that. Anymore. I mean,
0: does it seem like, does that seem like a lot to you now and oh, it I've, didn't then, or? Um,
1: that's just, with my ex-life, that's just how I live my life. Um, that's my addictive personality, you know what I mean? That's a lot of things, that's my ego, that's so many other things um, that that's, um, stems from, pretty much. you know, For me being poor, never having anything, for me being bitter, angry for being in prison, it stems from a lot of things
0: and that addictive personality how much do you think that's helped you to achieve great things like you have in boxing and how oh, much do you yeah, think it's um, hurt Where-
1: it's a twin sword um depends on whatever that, and that um addictive personality is focused on i don't know you know if i'm interested in destroying myself oh it's I'm great if i'm interested in exalting myself that's good too you know
0: w- with regards to money you've gone from being fabulously wealthy two at one point, basically losing it all. What has the peaks and valleys of that allowed you to learn about money?
1: It was interesting, I'm possessing it. Um, I just was a young kid, having fun.
0: What do you consider a lot of money to be? I
1: don't know, a thousand dollars. Oh, please. You know, anything, anything.
0: <laughs> do do uh, these figures sound correct? Made around 400 million during your Career,
1: I don't know. It Could have been.
0: Uh, yet end up spending more than you made, and at one point we like fifty million in debt.
1: Yeah, that was amazing too. But um, how
0: does that happen?
1: Just being reckless, and young and foolish, and stuff, and really not caring.
0: Was it not caring or not having the sort of you know? We talked yesterday about role models and having the support system. I, I never had how, a good support system, right?
1: so but, um. I normally, um, I can't really blame anybody, even though you gotta have carried away the fool by yourself, other people contribute, but I blame everything on myself, you know? It's not like I've been sucking, I had a good time too.
0: Sure, but and that's obviously the responsible thing to say, but do you, I mean, ever wonder how things might have been different if you had that support system like the one you're giving your kids now?
1: I don't know, I'm just happy the way I am now, I guess. I'm pretty content. You know, I don't totally much dwell on what I was and in the past.
0: How are you doing now?
1: I don't know, I'm alive. I am able to take care of my house and my kids and all that stuff. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy, you know, but like um, in that situation in the past when I had these hundreds of millions of dollars, I had so much, I couldn't even do so little. There was nothing I can do. Right now I have so little, but I can do, I do so much. You know, my, my, yes, um, my objectives are different and agendas are totally different than it was when I was younger. And plus when I was fighting
0: And interestingly, along those lines, obviously few people in this world ever attained the kind of wealth that you enjoyed. How satisfying was it, though?
1: It's like the drugs. You might as well say you have it all, but it's still that empty hole that you're trying to fulfill. That's an interesting subject. It's just you spend as much as you can to try to get that satisfaction, fulfill that hole that just is, is
0: bottomless. And what was that hole that you were trying to fill for you? I don't know
1: what it was. You know, I don't know. Sometimes um, at the state I'm in, I'm in now, I say to myself, what was that all about? What was that period all about? You know, what was the late 90s? What was that all about? What was I angry about? What was I depressed about? What was I seeing only that? What was that all about? What was that ear What was all that stuff all about back there? What was, what was wrong with me? You know?
0: Has that hole been fulfilled now or do you still find yourself trying to look to fill it um, i don 't know what I want, but I know i don't want what I already had How close are you now to no longer having to worry about that debt hey that's um that's pretty much um
1: i I'm, I'm totally out of bankruptcy now, thank God but um so great feeling hasn't yeah it? so i'm just um I'm just living like i've explained living life on life terms, taking care of my family because that's just my I main um I'm concerned in life, we're just loving each other, and allowing ourselves to have a, you know, a happy future.
0: As um, you know, you're able to start making a, a good living again, how much more careful do you find yourself being now when it comes to money? I
1: don't know, um, I don't know. I'm just um, not no money guy, basically. You know, if you have some money, you want to help some people that you love or care about. It doesn't help your family, your children. But, you know, I try not to let it dictate my life or who I am. You know, I've been through that before. And, you know, money goes, you know, when I had money, it was just a false sense of security. You know, sometimes when you have money, you don't even think you can die. Really? Money of that degree, you know, so it's just, um, I don't know, I used I was a young kid, and my, my ego was totally out of whack, and I wasn't, there was just no way I could handle any of that. Um, drama back then.
0: Uh, in this one-man show, I mean, you are very honest. Uh, you know, you talk about the, the, the past issues with drugs, past lovers, prostitutes. Your wife actually uh, wrote the script for. <laughs> the, wife told the, her, I and mean, she could write. She wrote it. Right. Yeah. I mean, but it speaks to how strong of a lady uh, she must be. What, what was involved though with actually creating the script for the show? Um,
1: just. Um, you know, it um, at ver- at first basically started with me establishing the understanding that this is not going to be me, you know, just explaining to myself um, emotionally, this is not going to be me, Mike Tyson, per se, up here talking about his it. like this, you're an actor, you're an entertainer, you're going to be Mike Tyson talking about this life. This is what it's going to be, because if I wouldn't have and I said, hey, I'm Mike Tyson and I come from Brownsville and my life is sh- my mother was a drunk and she my father was a pimp and I start feeling sorry for myself and crying or some stuff. Right. But I look at it from an objective perspective that I'm this entertainer portraying a man talking about himself. And that's how I get through it. I can never do this just straight off talking about me, Mike Tyson, and being hey, I'm Mike and, and being to that being the character that I am. i might be too sensitive. I might start taking myself too easy. Uh, to, am um, too seriously. I'm only allowing my ego to get involved and say I'm a real live guy. I don't make fun of myself. I did this. I've accomplished this. This ain't nothing to laugh at. So um, I have to look at it from just this entertainment portraying this mock up here. You know what I mean? That's life.
0: So you don't go up there as yourself? No
1: way. No way. It would never be successful if, that, if I if I took that route. No way.
0: And is it like that every time, or have you, maybe in some of the early shows, felt yourself beginning no, yes, to get emotional? In
1: the early shows, boy, you have to catch myself, you know, you may kiss stuff and say, whoa, I can't believe I said that. But and then, what, I,
0: what would be something that you'd say?
1: Um, that my mother, my mother don't know who the hell my father is, you know, something like that. I'd say, whoa, I'm telling these people this stuff, but it's not me saying this. You know, somebody else portraying me, saying this stuff, and I'm not angry at him for doing it.
0: Tell the uh, Brad Pitt Robin uh, Given story. You get a little bit of a smirk on your face. Nah, now, is, is this is that something I that Brad that, don't think I'm mad? at I'm not <laughs> mad at this right. guy. No
1: way. It's just a joke. It was my life. So back then, I. I was just—I was getting a divorce. I was going to my lawyer office to divorce her that day, but I wanted to sneak in a quickie. So <laughs> I wasn't mad at anything, you know. Doing a divorce, but I was telling me we were always do every day. I would. Before I go to my lawyer's office to say she's a pig and they're stealing, I would go to the office and i have sex with her, to her house, I'm sorry, to her (laughs) house, and have sex with her. But this particular day, someone beat me to the punch.
0: So, but before you both would be going to your lawyer's office as part of the divorce proceedings, like, same day, you would be having...
1: Right before we go see the the lawyers, yes. You'd be having sex. Yes, yes, yes,
0: yes. And then one day you go over and...
1: And I guess Brad got there earlier than I did.
0: What was, what was your reaction when?
1: I was mad as hell. You should have saw his face when he saw me. Oh, he saw you? Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what, what, why make the decision to?
1: I just thought it was a cool tattoo. I was going to get a bunch of hearts and stuff and be like a, a small, that would have been really stupid. So, uh, hey, what were you going to get? Some hearts and Heart. <laughs> I would have been the man of hearts, baby. <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how close were you to getting that? Very close to the um, um, Victor Perlo, the tattoo I said, No, I'm not doing it. He said, I ain't
0: doing that. Oh, so that's what you wanted, and he said he wouldn't do yeah, it. He said, I ain't doing that. No, that's not a tattoo for me. I can't do that. How long did it take to come up with that one? He said, yes, um
1: I said, What do you think I should get, really? Because I was confused. He said, Well, I'm gonna go. This guy's a good. Ah, oh, he's a good guy, Victor Perlo. He said, Well, you guys you come back in a couple of days, I'm gonna try to write up some stuff in a week. Don't get a tattoo, just come back in a couple of like a week. So I waited around and then he called like two or three days later, to Mike, I said, Look at this, I got some tribal stuff. And I said, Whoa. And then it was like one I said, put another one over there. And then he and then he put it like that, Yeah, this is cool. This is cool, I like it. So he did it. What did you think right after you got it? I thought it was so hot. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and, um, because listen, right there, um, I'd be in these, um, I'd be in these dens and these clubs and these strip places sometimes, you know, and all the girls came up to me and they said, why are well, you very exotic? Where are you from? Where your family come? from? Oh, this tattoo is exotic. Why do you put it on your face? I look like some, you know, they say I look like some tribesmen and s***. And then I run into some chicks that, um, that happened to be, um, from the Maui tribe and say, hey, you got my tribe on your face. And then the, the lady has pulled her pants down and she shows me this tattoo on her butt. She has it on her butt, right in the, <laughs> the street.
0: Where is this? Thank you. Okay. Of hey, course,
1: right? Yeah. Right.
0: <laughs> Let's end on a light note. Uh, the, the Hangover movies, uh, your fondest memory from shooting the first Hangover and your fondest memory from shooting the second Hangover?
1: Just that. The first hangover, the guys just had my back so so much, you know what I mean? They carried me real good to make sure, you know, I was a mess. I was overweight, I 280, no, 380 pounds. I was a pig high on cocaine and um, they had to know I was messed up. I couldn't even talk them, you know, I had to cocaine talk when the dog. Really? Yeah. So um, but those guys are just beautiful people. They were just beautiful. They had my back, you know. I appreciate that and stuff. Then they asked me to come back. And um, I could just never be um, thankful to Todd Phillip and those guys. They were just really good people. And they, they, um, they just gave me that extra boost, you know. What, what about the second hangover? That was good. I was so happy that I sung, and I was so happy that they highlighted my tattoo on the cover. That was bigger than me
0: being on the cover than my tattoo, able to wear my tattoo, and I used to thought that was cool. The, the three questions everybody asked me after I interviewed the, you the first time, um, is that really his house in The Hangover? Does he really have a tiger? And did you ask him about the tattoo?
1: Oh, no. I had tigers before when I had more property in my other house in Tamiyasu, around two miles from here. But um, I couldn't keep a tiger in this. It's not enough property. They have to be out running around for a while and come back, so I couldn't really, it wouldn't be good here.
0: Thanks for listening to the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Graham Bensinger, and visit grahambensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash grahambensinger for hours of extra content If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.